Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Welcome to the Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host today. We are live from the conference room of the Mississippi Arts Commission on the 11th floor of the Wolf Oak State Office Building. Today, great friend of mine and a very special guest, David Ray Morris joins us. David Ray, it's so good to have you. Thank you, uh, Malcolm. Great to be back here Yeah, uh, on the Mississippi Arts Hour with you. And uh, good to see you. And uh, what are we going to talk about? You know, when you were here before, we were talking about your film, right? We did talk about the film, yes. Yeah, yeah we're talking about the... the Yazoo uh, Revisited, Integration and Segregation in a Deep Southern Town, which came out in 2015. And that all came about... Um, because I wanted to re-examine the uh, integration of the schools in Yazoo City, my father's hometown, that he had written about so eloquently in his book, Yazoo Integration in a Deep Southern Town. And um, that film was very successful, made uh, the festival circuit, was here at the Crossroads Film Festival, won the most transformative film award. And um, I still got a bag full of DVDs that I'm still giving away. <laughs> For the third caller. No, wait, I'm just <laughs> kidding. We don't take calls here on the Arts Hour. Dave Ray Morris is a photographer, a writer, filmmaker, and a deadhead. And it's I always am. great to have a real deadhead uh, on the Mississippi Arts Hour. You know, How long we, have you been following uh, the dead? 45 years. Um, we just had the uh, 50th anniversary of the famous Europe 72 tour, where they took Europe by storm and did 22 shows. In, 19, in 2011, they came out with the Europe 72 box, which was every single show, every single note of a show, all 22 shows on 73 DVD, uh, CDs. I oh. guess they, they couldn't manage to squeeze them onto 72. <laughs> but you have a new book. I do. And uh, it is Love, Daddy, Letters from My Father. And your father, of course, was the great Willie Morris. Or I'm Willie's son. There. You say you often... Are introduced as Willie's son. I am. I, I remember introducing you to Haley Barber as Willie's son. Well, I, I told you to do that because that was part of a pl ploy. <laughs> I had to get him to talk to me for Yazoo Revisited, and it worked. And, and to Haley's credit, he uh, he gave me an hour of his time as a sitting governor and said some very eloquent things. We're here to celebrate uh, your new your new book and explain to our listeners, if you would, sort of the concept of the book and, and how it came to be. And it was published by uh, University Press of Mississippi. It was, and I've the concept. Somebody asked me recently why publish my father's letters now, and the truth is that I've really been working on this project for the better part of fifteen to twenty years. Mm. I knew that. My father wrote great letters. They're beautiful. They're loving. They're kind. Um, they're filled with all kinds of advice and suggestions and great stories, um, tales about what he was doing at the time, talk about dogs, um, talk about friends. I think you're mentioned once or twice. Yes. Okay. Um, the curious thing was that my father was not very good at expressing his emotions directly. 
he was from a generation uh, of American men who grew up in the 40s and 50s and just couldn't, it wasn't easy to talk about emotions, especially strong emotions like love and anger. And my father had a particular lifestyle and that was sort of hard to reconcile with the, the, the man of the letters with the man of the bar, mm-hmm. as it were. And of course, my parents were divorced when I was nine. So I was basically from the age of nine living two separate lives. I lived with my mother most of the time and we went to concerts and uh, art events and we lived a very modest life on the Upper West Side of Manhattan in New York. And then my father, who was still the editor of Harper's Magazine, um, would go to cocktail parties and literary events and alcohol flowed. And then after he left Harper's, he went to move to the eastern end of Long Island, where he settled into a writing routine. And he had these great literary friends. And uh, there were parties and, you know, bar hopping. And so it was, you know, as a teenager, that's probably not the best uh, <laughs> environment to grow up in. But I sort of tagged along, and, you know, I had my own little uh, adventure with alcohol from the time I was about 14 until I was in my early 20s when I realized that, you know, this might be a problem. Right. Um, but he continued on this lifestyle, and it, it, it eventually began to cause conflict between us. Um, I had become a photographer quite young um, when I was seven, when my father's first book come, came out, North Toward Home, uh, which is, was a memoir of growing up in Yazoo City uh, and then going on to Texas and going on to New York. The Saturday Evening Post, which was an old, one of the old great picture magazines, along oh, with Life and Look well. and Collier's, the Saturday Evening Post decided to publish several chapters of North Toward Home, and they wanted to recreate scenes from the book. So they hired me, seven years old, to play my father um, in this whole series of staged pictures to illustrate the book. So we we came down to Yazoo City in July of 1967, and uh, there's a very renowned German photographer named Hans Namuth took these pictures. And they're beautiful pictures. And at the end of the two weeks, they gave me $75, which was a lot of money for a seven-year-old in 1967. Wow. Do, do you have a manager, uh, agent? I did not. They, they, uh, I, and I don't think I signed a contract. <laughs> of course, the Saturday Evening Post has long since gone out of business. I still have a copy of that issue, though. Um, and they gave me a Polaroid Swinger, which was one of the you know, top-of-the-line yeah, mass-produced sure. uh, cameras at the time. So I... And there are actually two pictures in the book that were shot with the Polaroid Swinger. There's one the right one on that the, you got from the Saturday right on the across from the title page of my father uh, in front of the mantelpiece, and then the second one is somewhere else there on there page is, yeah. XX111 oh of him and my dog. And so those were my earliest portraits of my father. Wow. And over the years, I segued into more traditional photographic equipment and by the time I was a teenager I had a 35 millimeter camera and I was I was kind of a shy kid and photography really kind of gave me a, the license to go out and be something that I couldn't be without it and then fast forward a dozen years when my father and I started having conflicts 
the camera became sort of a tool for me. It, it became sort of a protection, a buffer, if you will, to protect me against bad emotions. Hmm. And so I started, I turned the camera on him to kind of document his, his being, his lifestyle. And also by then I was working as a photojournalist for various newspapers. So um, that sense of the camera being a ticket to wherever I wanted to be had even grown bigger. And I was, you know, I was having a good time being a photographer. And you worked as a professional photographer for for a very long time and well, still I, do. Well, I, not that I get much work now. Right. <laughs> but I still consider myself, I, I consider myself a photographer and a filmmaker. Right. Um, so this, this project is sort of a long time coming, and it, it highlights what really are very beautiful letters that my father wrote to me and the, the portraits that I took of him, some out of just because I thought it would make a good picture, and right. some out of a kind of a defense mechanism um, to try to reconcile who he was and what he was doing right. and how he was living his life. My guest today is David Ray Morris, photographer, writer, filmmaker. Uh, he has a new book uh, that is really just out called Love, Daddy, Letters from My Father, and they are letters between David Ray and his father, Mississippi writer, journalist, Willie Morris. Um, the book you were telling me actually came out a little earlier than you expected it to. It wasn't expected to come out until May the 16th, but the early copies arrived in mid to late April. So we had sort of designed a whole marketing scheme around it coming out in, in May. And, you know, this week is when I'm just starting to pick up and do signings and interviews and broadcasts. And so we're a little kind of behind in the, in the whole marketing scheme, but we're, uh, we're going to run with it. Yeah. Well, there's quite an event this weekend for our listeners. You are tuned in on a Sunday sometimes after all of this occurred. Uh, but uh, you will be in Yazoo City participating in the unveiling of the Willie Morris Writer's Mark Marker, which is a part of a statewide initiative. To which you had a hand in. A little bit when I was at the Arts Commission, as all the cultural agencies did. But it is a program of the Mississippi Arts Commission, the Mississippi Writer's Trail. And so while you're home, you're visiting Mississippi, uh, that marker will be unveiled. You will appear on Thacker Mountain Radio, and you will do a number of book signings, one at Lemuria, one at the Cultural Center, uh, Triangle Cultural Center in Yazoo. But then you will proceed from there, uh, touring the book around uh, to the usual spots. If you would, David, would you mind reading a little bit from your introduction uh, to sort of sure this, this sort get of people in the mood for, this for what sort the book of, contains? Uh, sets up what we were just talking about, um, and this is, uh, I, I wrote a fairly lengthy introduction years and years ago, and I've sort of embellished it and added to it and subtracted to it over the years. But this sort of sets up, the whole introduction sets up uh, the project. He had a particular lifestyle that he had little interest in changing, even if it meant hurting those around him. He would periodically have too much to drink and make mean comments or behave badly only to pretend as if nothing had happened the next day. If challenged, 
he would prefer to ignore the issue or the situation or begrudgingly apologize before quickly changing the subject. While he was by no means a bad parent, he was not always a very good role model. He didn't cook or clean, kept peculiar hours, rarely expressed emotion, and never answered the phone unless first accompanied by the secret code. and the code, as noted at various footnotes in the book, the code changed periodically over the years depending on how many people learned what the code was. It, he would amend first, the code. It first started, the, the, the early years, it was two, ring, ring twice, hang up, call again. Then it would go to three. Then it would go to four. Then it would go back to two. For a while, it was one and a half. And Larry Wells in Oxford had developed the 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 ability to to hit the 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 button on the phone right when the second ring would happen so on my father's end it would just be like one little ping <laughs> so continuing well into my college years if i wanted to find him he encouraged me to call his favorite bars i knew all the bartenders so even if he wasn't there they might have seen him earlier in the evening and may have had an idea of where he was heading i could at least leave a message I was fascinated when I read that. You you would call around to his favorite hangouts and chat with the bartenders who you'd become very friendly with over the years just to sort of see where your father was, where he was headed, and sort of what the itinerary and for the evening. And of course, they wanted to know how I was. Oh, well, David, how are, you? How, how are things in college? What are you doing? What's going on? So we would end up, I would end up talking to the bartenders for four or five minutes, and they say, well, Willie's not here. Uh, I think he went down to Rick's. Or, you know, he went, went to the Cherries or, you know, I said, well, if you see him again, tell him I called. <laughs> and I might try to call him down at Rick's and maybe not. But that was, that was the, the, the way things worked. Right, right. Well, think, talking about the way things worked, tell us a little bit about the structure of the book and, and, and how it came to be. I know you, you, you've saved all these letters that your father had written to you over the years with some sort of thought about what to do with them. Well, I struggled with how to divide the letters. In the early prototypes, I had it by year. So every year would have a couple of paragraphs describing what was going on in that year and then the letters from that year. And then, so it'd be 1976, 1977. And that was kind of clunky. Hmm. So then I divided it into three sections. Uh, and I only realized six months ago or eight months ago that I had divided into three sections titled Bridgehampton, which is 1976 to 1980 when my father lived in the eastern end of Long Island, and then Oxford from 80 to 89, and then Jackson from 90 to 99. And I realized that his first book, North Toward Home, is basically structured the same way. It's ah. three sections, right. Yazoo City, Texas, and New York. Right, right. So it's basically the same. And, and I even... Um, got the press to change the style because the style um, should have been part one as a numeral. Right. Um, but I made them change it to spell it out because that's the way it is in North Toward Home. Part ah. one, part two, part three. And you have the uh, yellow uh, pages that define that the beginning or the intro to each part. Right, and, so the, and little... the pages that I wrote setting up that decade are in yellow. So in, in the case of part one, I think there's one, two, three, four pages, and then it gives way to the letters themselves. 
And so then the letters appear in chronological order. And interspersed within the letters are portraits that I made of my father. And then um, one of the things I added in the second prototype I did in 2008 was a series of self-portraits. Thanks to our old friend Curtis Wilkie, who recently retired from the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. Curtis uh, was one of the first people I sent one of the prototypes to, and he wrote me a long, beautiful letter um, back. And one of the things he wanted was to have a sense of who I was at the time, and did I have any letters that I had written to my father? Well, I have some, but there weren't many, certainly not the volume that my father wrote to me. Plus, I didn't have them. They're, they're probably in his papers at right. Ole Miss. But Correct, in the it wouldn't, at Ole Miss. It wouldn't, I didn't see that as being a viable option. And at some point, Curtis and I had a conversation. I said, Curtis, I do have self-portraits. Or he said, do you have any self-portraits? And um, I did, and so I, I incorporated the self-portraits because he, as he said, he wanted to know what the young man my father was writing to looked like. And so there are, I think, 27 self-portraits included in all three sections, um, and, and as well as the introduction. Um, and I was finding both portraits of my father and self-portraits right up to my final deadline. Yeah, um, digging through the archives and mm-hmm. finding more. I, I made it a point to go through every sleeve of negatives that I could find from 1976 to 1999. And there would be, I would find a roll of film where maybe from the early 80s where everything on the film was just terrible, out of focus, you know, not interesting. And then there'd be one frame <laughs> that I had missed in 1982 and it All would right. be really amazing. And so there, there are one or two of those in here. Hi, I'm Malcolm White. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. For access to more conversations with creative Mississippians, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app. at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Malcolm White. I'm your host today. Happy to sit in and work with my old comrades at the Mississippi Arts Commission. This is their program that airs here on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. And we appreciate you tuning in and supporting the arts and supporting MPB. My guest today is my old friend David Ray Morris. Welcome back, David Ray. Thank you, Malcolm. And we are here to talk about and celebrate your artistic work. You have a brand new book out uh, published by the University Press of Mississippi entitled Love, Daddy, Letters from My Father. Uh, And and though we have 
explained it pretty thoroughly in the beginning if you just give a little well uh, it's a it's a, um, a series of it's the letters my father wrote to me over a 23 year period accompanied by photographs that I took of him and self-portraits I made of myself um, over the same period. Uh, although there are several pictures I took of him with an old Polaroid swinger back from back in 1967 or 1968. So it, it encompasses many, many years. And the book covers uh, what time period, roughly? Well, the first surviving letter that he wrote me was from 1976. Mm -hmm. um, now, I do use the introduction to his 1971 children's book, Good Old Boy, in the in the book because that was written as a letter to me. So I sort of used that to begin begin the project. But his, his letters to me, his private letters to me, begin in earnest in 1976 when he was the writer in residence at the Washington Star for several months uh, in the winter of 1976. Now what about this uh, piece that that uh, Willie wrote for Parade in 1984 called A Father. It, this was a piece that, that he wrote about his relationship with his father, and you've sort of picked up on that as your relationship with him. Right? He, he wrote a piece right before he turned 50. He wrote a piece for uh, Parade about his relationship with his father. And I, I can't really remember what the the catalyst for writing that was. I mean, Parade might have called him up and said, will you write a piece uh, for us? And it wasn't even in conjunction with Father's Day. I was going to say, it wasn't Father's it was, Day. Because it came out in August. Um, but he talks about his complex relationship with his father, uh, who was a, you know, just kind of a good old boy from Tennessee, um, died before I was born. Um, I am named for him. He was Henry Ray Morris. Um, I'm David Ray Morris, so I have his name. Uh, but my, my grandfather had a profound effect on my father's life. Uh, and my father acknowledges this. It was my grandfather who, on his own, went off to the University of Texas and toured the campus and came back and told my father, you need to get out of Mississippi hmm. and you need to go to Texas. And, of course, my father was planning on going to Ole Miss and probably marrying his co college sweetheart or – or a Chi Omega at Ole Miss, and you know, goodness knows what would have happened if if he had done that. Right. Um, but what happened was he went off to Texas, and uh, it changed him. Um, not because Texas is, you know, any great bastion of liberalism, but Texas, you know, is different, and it it opened his eyes to a lot of issues that were prevalent in the mid 1950s in terms of race relations and power, and uh, he came back and he was ever changed. And I like to say that actually, you know, my father left Mississippi in 1952 and went into what essentially was self-imposed exile uh, for 30 years until he could move back in 1980 when enough had, ch enough had changed in the state that he felt comfortable returning. Hmm. Um, so that piece was... Uh, you know, the first half starts about his relationship with his father and how he couldn't express to his father what he was feeling. And then it sort of segues into his relationship with me. And he 
presents the argument that no son really becomes a man until his father dies. Well, I w when that article came out, I was 24. I was working at the Delta Democrat Times. I was on top of the world. And in fact, there was a, there's a picture of the two of us that Walt Mixon shot in, you know, in the middle of Faculty Row in July of 1984. And I tried to find that. I was going to say, I didn't see that. Um, I, I, Larry Wells sent me down a rabbit hole uh, to Walt's old fraternity house, and you know, I was in contact with them saying, I'm really trying to find these negatives that Walt shot in 1984, and they just couldn't find them. So I decided, with the whole theme of self-portraits, I had a framed copy of the piece. So I said, well, I'll just do a self-portrait of me holding the, the article with the picture. Uh, there you go. So, you know, I, I, I was given some lemons and I made some lemonade. But at the time, I really challenged my father on that point that, you know, I'm a man now, you know. And he sort of <laughs> slinked off and said, okay. That's fine. But after he died, you know, the trauma of losing a parent, and you know what that's like, I thought, Maybe he was right. Right. Maybe, maybe you know, at the age of 39, maybe now I'm becoming a man. But, but the punctuation of that, you know, fast forward 20 years, now I'm dealing with my daughter. And I write about this in the epilogue. I'm dealing with my, my daughter uh, who just turned, uh, turned 20 last year, is finishing her, finished her first year in college. She, she's driving. <laughs> she graduated high school in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and my mother, who's in declining health, and I'm having to deal with all of her affairs. And so I have started thinking, maybe now I'm a man. <laughs> maybe all these, I, I, nothing I've ever done in my life prepared me for what I'm dealing with now in terms of family relations. Right. So, so the book and the project is, is really about your father and, and people who uh, are hearing this interview mostly are Mississippians or Southerners. They, they know your father quite well. But you, you mentioned your mother. So I was curious if you could talk a little bit uh, about your mom. And because she then married, after she and Willie divorced, she married a U.S. congressman. That's and right. you got involved to some degree with his work and was up on the hill working in his office, as I recall. Right. Well, my mother was, um, my mother and my father met at the University of Texas. My father, of course, was the editor of the Daily Texan, the student paper, great student paper. My mother was the sweetheart of the university, which is kind of the, the beauty pageant, hmm. the Miss, kind of the Miss, Miss Texas. Miss Texas, as it were. Uh, although not, not on that, she didn't end up going to the Miss America pageant, <laughs> but the sweetheart is, you know, she's our gal. Right. Uh, and it's something that I think haunted her for many years because she went on to become a second wave feminist and very outspoken writer in her own right um, about women's issues and uh, she did a book on the Texas governor Texas and California governor's races in 1990 she did a book on early book on sexual harassment where she interviewed survivors of sexual harassment she wrote a biography called an uh, autobiography called Finding Celia's Place where she talked about growing up in Texas and my father is a character in that as well I can imagine uh, so she was her, her you know very accomplished in her own right um, and when my parents were divorced in 1969 you know we stayed in New York and then she started a relationship with Bob Eckhart, who at the time was a congressman from the 8th District in Houston, 
uh, one of the last of the great liberal congressmen. Um, he's actually he actually appears in North Toward Home uh, because he was part of that circle of friends in Austin in the uh, the early 60s when my father was running the Texas Observer. So my father always had very fond feelings for Bob Eckhart. Um, I went uh, and worked on his campaign in 1980, and there are a number of references in my father's letters to me being in Texas and working for Eckhart. And Eckhart got beaten by in the Reagan wave by a young conservative uh, first-time politician uh, whose only claim to fame was that he had been the president of the student body at Baylor twice. <laughs> and um, and then after that, Bob did, he became a lobbyist and uh, stayed in Washington. And she, he and my mother ended up divorcing in the late 80s. Um, I am still very close with his daughters. He had three daughters from two marriages. His youngest daughter, Sarah Eckhart, is a state senator from Travis County in Austin. Um, and of course, Austin is sort of a, an oasis of blue and a sure. field of red. Um, so you want to talk about salmon swimming upstream. Sarah, Sarah works very hard and she's very outspoken. Um, one of the other daughters lives in New Orleans, so I see her quite frequently. And then the third daughter lives out in Colorado in the, the boonies. And I actually just saw her for the, about the first time in about eight years. I don't yeah. see her very often. But I'm still very close to the Eckhart family. So the book, uh, Letters of my, from My Father, uh, began as an exhibition but long before it was a book, right? It was well, a, the, the, an the, exhibit at the, the prototype exhibit. started first. Mm -hmm. uh, I had my first prototype, and then I had an exhibit of photographs at the Ogden Museum of Southern Art in the fall of 2007, and it was about 40 photographs and 15 letters. Um, and it was very well received. It was up for about three months. And um, right now, the Ogden is going to put half of that exhibit back up to celebrate the public publication of the book. Oh, great. And the other half has gone to Oxford to the Southside Gallery. So it will be up when I have a signing at Square Books later in June. Well, didn't I see the exhibit at the Max in Meridian one time? Yes, it was, it was, it sat, after it came down at the Ogden in 2007, it sat in storage in the Ogden vault for 10 years until they finally told me I had to get it out. <laughs> and um, at that time, the, the Mississippi Arts and Entertainment Experience in Meridian was just getting off the ground and they had opened and, they inducted my father into their Hall of Fame, and um, I think my that exhibit ended up being the first major exhibit they had in that space after opening. And at that point, I had added some uh, some framed copies of some of the self portraits. So it's it's been an ongoing project for 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 many many years. Wow! And are you pleased? I would. Think I am. It's would obviously it's it's a very emotional. Um, experience. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like kind of like a filleted fish because now my whole being in life and all these secrets are right. um, up to, uh, up, you know, open for anyone to, to look at. In fact, early on, I had a conversation with, with the writer Richard Ford. And Richard, I had sent him an early prototype. And he said, are you sure you want to share all these? Uh, are there some that you might not want to share I mean, some that you want to keep secret, but I pretty much uh, there. I mean, there's some 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 snippets of letters that I cut out because they were boring, and obviously the birthday cards my father sent me, which are just 
crazy um, <laughs> or unclassifiable. Right. Because, you know, he'd get a card, one of those silly birthday cards, and he'd pass it around in the bar and everyone would sign it. And, <laughs> you know, you can't really transcribe that. And you can't reproduce it because then you'd get take into a, copyright issues. Take a lot issues. of footnotes to try you to take explain a lot who of these footnotes, people are. Uh, to do that. And um, so, but I know I'm very happy. I think the University Press, we worked really a long time. I mean, we spent about five years working slowly um, before we really turned it up a notch and started, you know, going into production mode. And I think they did a great job. I think uh, Todd, the designer, did a great job. Uh, I think it's a beautiful book. It is um, a beautiful book. Um, but it is very emotional for me. I'm and, certain um, that it is. And so there you have it. <laughs> so uh, in reading the book, your father addressed you with various names. He would call you... Dave in some of the letters, David in some of the letters, Marty in some. What what was? Did he have many names that he used? Well, D Dave, Dave, and David, um, and I think he probably calls me David Ray a couple of times. Um, that's that's to be expected. Marty was something that he appropriated from the the Ernest Borgnine film Marty. Okay. Uh, and I actually never saw the film till years later, but. Apparently, there's this scene, and I can't remember, um, where <laughs> Ernest Bornine and his brother are trying to decide what they're going to do for dinner that night. And it's like, Marty, what do you want to do? And he said, I don't know. And so it became this ritual with us. He would say to me, Marty, what do you want to do for dinner? And I would say, Marty, I don't know. What do you want to do for dinner? <laughs> so that's why he would address me as Marty. Right. Could you tell anything from the way he addressed you at the beginning of the letter, sort of? The, the mood or the scope of what was coming in the letter? Like if it was Dave or David or Marty, could, was that a signal like, okay, this is going to be funny and oh, lighthearted? I think, I think if he addressed me as Marty, it was definitely going to be light, you know. And even Dave and, and David and David Ray, I think it would be okay. He, he, he never addressed me as, hey, you, or dude, or... Son. You know, there was nothing, you know, unless I had written him a pointed letter and was expecting a pointed response, you know, I don't think that... I, I assumed that most of them would be fairly light. Uh, right. And I, there are some pretty heavy letters there. In are there are some heavy letters. In um, there, but we'll let the reader... We will let the reader decide that. Enjoy uh, <laughs> looking for those. And the book, of course, will be available uh, in all the independent bookstores in Lemuria, uh, Turnrow, Square Books, the usual places all across the state. Um, so we're going to take another break. Uh, we'll come back and continue our conversation with David Ray Morris in uh, his new collection of letters. Not new, but uh, the newly published collection of letters between himself and his father. Hi, I'm Malcolm White. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast. You can also hear the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. For access to more conversations with creative Mississippians, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Arts Hour. Malcolm White, your host today in the studios of the Mississippi Arts Commission's conference room with my friend David Ray Morris. Welcome back, David Thank Ray. Thank you, sir. So glad to have you. Excited about the new book, Love Daddy, Letters from My Father, now available at all book buying outlets, and we hope you'll check it out. So I was wondering if you could share a few excerpts from the book, uh, from some of the letters that you've collected here, uh, and just sort of give our listeners a, a little taste of what the book includes and the... Sure. I, I, what I did was I, I have a list of little snippets um, from letters, um, three or four I'll read to you, um, and these sort of set up, um, you know, give you a sense of, A, you know, the kind of letter writer he was. The thing is that he had beautiful, beautiful handwriting. Mm. Um, 95% of these letters were handwritten. There were a few that were typed, um, but most of them were handwritten. And he had a very gentle script, a very non-threatening script. Um, so I think you get a real sense. If, if you, and, and, and we reproduce one of the letters, one of the handwritten letters, in the early part of the book so you can see what his um, signature looked, looked like in addition to the, to the love daddy on the cover, which is, was actually assigned um, uh, from a signed letter. Um, I, 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 I had used one, and then the, the, the designer, I had said to the designer, just go, there's a stack of them in Craig Gill's office, the director of the press, I said, mm -hmm. go find one that you like, and use it, and that's what he did. And so the the love daddy, the in script on the cover is is actually my father's signature. Now he used a sharpie. He he wrote with a felt. He, he with pen. a flare. A flare. A that's a black what it was. flare. A flare. He, he was used there to a go certain in, one? And did he buy them in? He cases? bought them in like ten or twenty packs. And, right. and some of the pictures you can see the stack of pens sitting on his desk. And so that was his that was his implement was the was the black felt tip pen. And he, sometimes he'd have red, but black was his favorite. Have you found that that felt tip handwritten uh, letter holds up better or worse than if he had used sort of a fountain pen? I you mean, mean in terms of archival? Yes. Um, all of the letters that he wrote on Flair, they seem like 40 years later, they're good and solid. Okay. Just curious if. if if the ink diminishes in a flare versus a ball, I have point. not. We'll get a we'll get a, a pen expert on the show. I have here. not denoted any degradation. Okay, but I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> it's not been your life's work, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I I pulled a couple of these little snippets um, to read from the letters, uh, and th these are on specific subjects that he's writing about. He was always giving me advice, uh, of which you know, as a uh, twenty. A teenager or twenty-something young man, I often ignored, um, which was part of the the tension between us at times. The warring personalities. The warring personalities. I, I wouldn't say so much warring personalities; it's just conflicts of uh, of uh, interest. So this is from November the ninth, nineteen eighty-four. I was uh, I had just recently started working at the Delta Democrat Times, and this was my first full-time staff photographer job for a newspaper and I was working very hard and so this this commentary is on work <clears throat> it's none of my business 
but I get the impression you're working too hard. At your age, I worked my heart out. When I was married to your mother, I once went to a doctor in Austin because I was so exhausted in putting out the Texas Observer at age 26. I think he told me to stop drinking so much Coca-Cola and coffee and seek a psychiatrist, neither of which I did. I'd say, take it a little easier. I won't say, have an occasional beer, since both of your parents are hard drinkers, but not to drive yourself so much. Give a party at your house. Make spaghetti. <laughs> Get a girl. Settle down. <laughs> As and if any of that was that married. easy. Um, now, let's talk about spaghetti because your father, we would go out to eat a lot. And he would order the strangest dishes. And one of the strange dishes, he would order this at the Mayflower. You go into a Greek seafood restaurant. Willie would order the spaghetti and meatballs not eat it, and then say, I need a go box. It's for the cats. Well, my favorite to-go box story was uh, came from Chrishell's out on uh, old Highway 80. He would love to order the frog's legs. <laughs> and as you said, he would not eat them. No. And the re- he wouldn't eat all of them. And the reason he wouldn't eat all of them, so he could say to the waitress, Miss... Can I have a froggy bag? <laughs> there you go. And remember, he also would come to Howlin' Mouse and four and a half French fries. He would order French fries, but he only wanted four and a half. And I think some of the wait staff actually would bring him four and a half. Mm, and, every time. And he wouldn't eat those either. <laughs> so <laughs> He would take a bite. <laughs> he would eat two and a half. Um, here's one on dogs. Of course, he loved dogs. And this is also from... February the 15th, 1983, and this was right after Pete, his beloved black lab, died. Old Pete's death has really hit me hard. As you know, the old fella and I were inseparable for many years, and I'm suffering from a deep, lingering grief. I think that pain, that some pain is harder to get I'm sorry. I think that some pain is harder as one gets older. I loved him so. Anyway, As you'll learn, if you haven't already, close friends help, and so does one's hardest earned work, work, friends, and love. Hmm. Um, And here's one on Mississippi. He had, of course, a very complex relation with Mississippi. Um, He used to like to quote the late great historian David Sansing in saying that sometimes you love Mississippi, but Mississippi doesn't love you back. Right. So this was from August the 23rd, 1980. I was in Houston working for Bob Eckhart's campaign and was trying to decide what to do after the election. And I thought that I would move up to Austin and enroll at the University of Texas for a semester. He, of course, wanted me to enroll, come back to Mississippi, enroll at Ole Miss, Mm. which I did not want to do. You'll probably be off enrolling at the University of Texas next spring semester rather than Ole Miss. Such a small and provincial town and university it is. It's largely, it largely breaks my heart. The University of Texas is brisk and sophisticated and cosmopolitan with so much money behind it. UT is my alma mater. Ole Miss is poor, poor, with a pro football franchise, the Rebels. The greatness of Ole Miss lies in the distinction of the larger state, 
Mississippi, which is quite crazy. <laughs> the University of Texas is probably your best bet. My daddy, your grandfather, long dead, chose UT for me many years ago over Ole Miss. I gave you his middle name, yours, Ray. Ray knew what he was talking about. Enroll at Texas rather than Ole Miss, your grandfather is suggesting, and probably your father too, although your father, your own father, is not wholly sure. It's all in North Toward Home, a book written long ago in another galaxy. I guess you can tell from this note that I'm down to my novel, my book, Taps. I really miss you. Great. All right. If you would, talk a little bit about the forward that Kaylee Jones wrote. It's really powerful. And I know you're great friends with her, and her father and your father were great friends. Well, Kaylee and I haven't seen each other in 20 years, and I had originally thought that the only person who could write the forward was Christopher Dickey. Jim Dickey's son, the the great poet, who my father loved, um, he wrote a book called Summer of Deliverance, which was very powerful about his relationship with his Mm -hmm. father, and it really resonated with me. Uh, But Christopher Dickey died, um, and so I decided I wasn't going to have a foreword. And then I read a book that Kaylee wrote called Lies My Mother Never Told Me uh, about her relationship with her mother after her father died. And it really, really resonated with me, in part because I knew all of the characters. Um, Her father, Jim Jones, who wrote From Here to Eternity, was my father's best friend. Um, My father wrote a memoir about Jim called uh, James Jones of Friendship. And I tracked Kaylee down. I hadn't heard from her in a dozen years, and I found her. And I wrote her, and I said, Kaylee, you are the only person who can write this, and it's going to write itself because you know all the characters. You know me. You know my father. And I said, give me 2,500 words. And I think she was a little scared initially. Um, And I think the emotions that she brings up um, show that. But she she, uh, was going off to a – to a conference and so she couldn't do it right away and I had written Craig Gill the director of the press saying how much time do we have and he's like you know <laughs> we're, and it, wait, I had already turned the manuscript in right. we were we were going into production we were going into copy editing and um, so he gave me a date and I said I wrote her back I said okay you have this much time and she sat down and wrote 3,000 words um, just beautiful beautiful emotional um uh, and it really complements um, the whole manuscript. Um, and I'm, I'm so proud of her and, and so humble that she uh, wrote what she did uh, with as much passion and as much love. And I, I changed a few words here and there, but, you know, otherwise, you know, this is what she wrote. And I'm, I'm just honored to have her in the project. And of course, she's a very uh, accomplished writer in her own right. It's a beautiful piece. And as you say, it's the perfect compliment to to the volume Love Daddy Letters from My Father, David Ray Morris. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, Please contribute today at mpbonline.org. 
Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform.